Good morning. What a, what a beautiful day it is to gather together as believers. Every, every Sunday is a beautiful day, but today is especially beautiful because it's today. <laughs> we have this opportunity to get together as believers, fellowship together, worship God together, learn from his word together. Um, it's a good day. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, why don't you open them to Matthew chapter 6. Um, while you're turning there, I'll, I'll, I'd like to say thank you to those of you who prayed for us yesterday. Um, several from Ridgeview traveled to Burwell, Nebraska to help with uh, a rural Christian workers conference. Um, I, was, I, was this, I, I preached a bunch of times there and uh, also Bert Newman and Sam Parker and Maya my wife went and we all were there, had a great time. Thank you for praying. If you, if you were praying, if you knew about it, we put it all over social media, but thank you for praying. It was a good time. It was basically a whole bunch of pastors and Christian ministers who work in rural small churches who gathered together in Burwell and we were able to be there and just encourage and um, teach from the word and had a really nice time. Uh, really, I came back really encouraged. Um, if not a little tired, but really encouraged. So thank you for praying. All right, so we are working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and today our text is verses 14 and 15 of chapter 6. So Matthew 6, 14 and 15. The Word of God says this. This is Christ's words. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Let's, let's go to the Lord and ask for his help this morning. Father, we, we come to you this morning needing, needing your help. There, there's some hard words before us. And we want to, we don't want to dismiss them. We, we, we know that that's a dangerous thing to do. We want to apply them. And so, Father, I know that in this room, there are people who have very strained relationships. And I believe that your word, you have a word for those people and those relationships, and it's before us. So, Father, I pray that we would uh, hear your word today with open hearts. And I know that that all by itself is a work of the, your spirit. We, we, don't, we don't naturally open our hearts to you. So, Father, I, I pray that we would open our hearts to your word. We'd open our minds. We'd, we'd want to know and believe what your word teaches. I pray that your spirit would be moving here today. And, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have forgiven us in Christ. We thank you that though we, are, um, we have broken your law and we have, trans, we have transgressed, we have, we have turned our backs on you, we have rebelled, you have laid on Christ the iniquity, our iniquity. That's amazing. Lord, I pray that we would rejoice in that truth today. I pray that the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ would just so encourage our hearts as we think about that forgiveness and how it ought to play itself out in our lives. Help me, I pray. I know I am insufficient to stand here before your people and encourage them. I know that my words are not powerful enough to do anything. Your word is, though. Your word is powerful. You promise that your word doesn't come back void. And so, Father, I pray that today your word would be encouraging to us, challenging, helpful, life-giving. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, I'm going to read you a list of things, and I'd like you to try to figure out what all of these things have in common, okay? Like, um, you, you just hear these things and tell me what they have in common. These were supplied to me by other people, by the way. Not, I did, these aren't mine. There, there might be one in here that's mine. but um, So anyway, here we go. Here's a list. Pink elephants. An economical SUV. Or a green SUV. An honest thief. Or as Shakespeare put it, an honorable villain. A healthy internet debate. A gentle beating. Tasty kale. That, I might have put that in there. Middle earth. Cow tipping as a sport. Bigfoot. Probably. Unbiased news. Uh, here's a good one. Human righteousness apart from Christ. A skinny sumo wrestler. <laughs> a time machine. What, what, what do you think all these have in common? Yeah, none of these exist. These are things that do not exist. I, I ask people online to name things that don't exist, and these are the answers I receive back. Um, things that do not exist. I'm just going to add one more to them. This is a serious one, though. Okay? This is a serious, and it actually, it's so serious it might sound shocking to you. Um, and if it does sound shocking to you, I ask that you try to track with this and see if the scriptures support it. As we, as we walk through this, okay? So the one I want to add, the thing that doesn't exist is this. There is no such thing as an unforgiving Christian. That's my conclusion. I'm just jumping right to it after reading and studying this passage all week and many others like it. And I hope it will be your conclusion too. And even more than that, I hope and I pray that this passage will have its full weighty effect in your life. Jesus didn't write this to condemn you. He said it to warn you. He said it to warn me. For sure, this is a clear warning. It's a heavy warning. And Jesus said it to help us and to prod us to forgive one another. So today, for our good and our encouragement and our help, we're going to take this warning to heart and we're going to push into it. And my goal, my heart, I hope that God would work. I've been praying that God would work so that we would Learn to forgive, love to forgive, and see forgiveness just flowing up from the grace that God has shown us in Christ. Because of this passage, we have to ponder how and why we forgive. And how to do that when the offenses are massive. Because I know I'm not talking about light things. What about when the offenses are massive? What, if the, what, what about when they're painful? What about when they're ongoing? It's a tough subject. And because of that, I want to be clear. I, I don't want to minimize anything that needs to be clearly stated. I want to be gentle. I want to be hope-giving. And honestly, I just want to point you to Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in the gospel, the forgiveness we have in him, and the power through him to forgive others and forgive one another. So let's just begin by defining some terms here. Key words in this verse, forgive and uh, and, and trespasses. We'll start with trespasses. Trespass is a great translation of the, of the word that's used here in the original language. Uh, it means literally a false step. It's a sin or an offense. 
It's usually used in the Bible about us and God, like uh, the way that we transgress his laws. We trespass against God. But sometimes, like here and in a few other places, it's used as interpersonal, as in between people, uh, ways that we sin against one another, offenses against one another. Back in verse 12, which Sam Parker preached on a few weeks ago, Jesus used the word debt. It's a different word, but it's very similar in meaning. And in fact, the way that they're used here, this being an explanation of verse 12, I believe, um, this is uh, very, the words are the same. They're synonymous. They both carry the same idea. The word debt, though, has a helpful connotation. And I think it's helpful to think about it because we all know what it feels like to be in debt. Most of us know what it feels like to be in debt. Maybe if you're under 18, you don't know yet, but most of us know what it's like to owe money, say a credit card balance, and not being able to pay it back. You know, the weight that you feel after a while of having that debt over your head, that, that's a great picture of sin. You, you cannot, sin is debt. And when it comes to our debts with God, we cannot pay it back. When we sin, we become debtors, born debtors in that sense. And we become debtors. And of course, that debt has consequences. Sin has consequences. Always, always. Oh, I wish we would get that. Sin always has consequences. Lots and lots of consequences, both with God and with one another. One of my college roommates came back to school after summer break, uh, and he was driving a classic car. He, he, he had like a a beat-up Honda Accord before this, but he came back in a 1971 Plymouth Roadrunner. If you know what that is, it's, it's, it's a pretty cool ride. And it was fully restored, some Mopar muscle under the hood. It was a nice car. And I wondered, man, where did this guy who used to drive this little beat-up thing get the money for this? And so I talked to him. He's, he, was, he was a roommate. You know, so I, I thought, where, man, where'd you get the money for that? That's, that's an awesome. I mean, we just, summer break, how do you Save that much. And it, as it turned out, he borrowed the money from his rich grandmother. Uh, he agreed to pay her back each month with no interest. <laughs> Grandmas are awesome, aren't they? <laughs> a, f- a few semesters later, he shared with me that he had stopped paying her. You know, just he stopped paying her. And um, one day we're talking, I asked him what he was going to do over Christmas break. And he said, with his head kind of held in shame, I'll be avoiding my grandmother. The loan had wrecked the relationship. Um, He couldn't call her. He couldn't visit with her. Even at a family gathering. I mean, he could could not even look her in the eye. From what I understood, none of that tension was coming from her. It was all from him because he had this debt over him that he owed her and he couldn't reconcile that. The consequences of sin are real. They sever relationships. They destroy fellowship. This is true about our deaths with God too. It's true about our deaths with one another. When we sin against one another, we hurt relationships. But it's true about our relationship with God. We sever that relationship with God when we sin. Sin has consequences. Debts destroy relationships. Naturally, the words debts and forgiveness go together, don't they? They're both financial terms. Uh, we, they, they go, right now you're hearing it in the news. That's are forgiven. That's forgiveness of debt. That's the idea here. I don't, I don't know if this happened because I lost contact with that roommate, but let's pretend together that his grandmother got tired of her grandson avoiding her, 
driving past, you know, her house and his shiny ride um, as she sat waiting for him to stop by. And so she decided, you know what, I'm done with this. I want this relationship back. And so she sits down and she decides to write him a letter. And she writes him and says, dear, dear Frankie, you, you borrowed that money and we had an agreement. You were to pay me such and such amount each month for this many months. And now for months, maybe years, I haven't received anything. And to make it worse, you are avoiding me. So I have decided that I'm not going to hold this note against you any longer. I forgive you this debt. You are released from this debt. Now, would you please drive that shiny car over here and have some pie with me? Love, Grandma. That illustrates the concept of forgiveness, like when a debt is forgiven. I want the relationship restored more than I want that debt repaid. And so I will absorb that debt, and you can therefore be released of it. Do Do you track? That is, in fact, a concept that's right at the heart of the gospel, isn't it? We could not look God in the eye. We could not stand in his presence. We could not enjoy fellowship with a holy, righteous God as we were debtors to him because of our sin. We could not enjoy him for eternity. We could not be in his presence for a moment because of our massive sin debt that we could not pay back. Sin had created a separation between us and God, but as John 3.16 so wonderfully puts it, God so loved the world that he sent his son, the son of God, Jesus Christ, absorbed my debt in himself and your debt. He released thereby us from it. That's forgiveness. God no longer holds this note of our debts against us because Jesus took it and he paid it off completely. There's a stamp across it, paid in full. It's done. On the cross. Friend, if your trust is in Christ today, then your debt is paid. You can have fellowship with God again. No more separation. No more avoiding the eye contact. No more awkwardness, no condemnation. Jesus paid it all. If your faith is in Christ today, do you believe that? I mean, is that your hope today? Note with me something important. Forgiveness is intrinsically and always undeserved. There can never be a sense where forgiveness is deserved. It's the, 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 the concepts run contrary, right? If, if you pay a debt back, you're not being forgiven that debt, right? Forgiveness of that debt means you didn't pay it back. So it is therefore undeserved. Are you, you with me? If you can satisfy it yourself, you're paying it off. It's not forgiveness. It's not grace. Forgiveness, therefore, cannot be earned. It is always undeserved. And in that sense, it is always by grace. So those are our terms defined. A sin or a trespass is a debt. And forgiveness is the act of releasing someone from that debt, absorbing it. That's how it works with God and how it works with us and others. Now, before we move on to the warning that's here, let's think about some things interpersonal forgiveness between one another is not. 
Okay, I just, again, part of my clarifying of terms, I think this is helpful. And, and we did a podcast on this um, that's very helpful. You can go back and listen to it, Ridgeview Podcasts. Um, I think it's on our, yeah, it's on our website. You can find it different places. But we did one, I think a couple of weeks ago it dropped uh, on forgiveness called How the Gospel Shapes Our Forgiveness. But it's helpful and we went into it more deeply probably uh, than I'm going to right now as far as what forgiveness is not. But let's think about what forgiveness is not. We tend to conflate a lot of relational terms. And it makes the concept of forgiveness harder for us to understand, wrap our minds around and obey verses like this. So let's think about what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Forgiveness is not the same as a relationship being reconciled. For sure, for sure, it opens the door to reconciliation. Okay? For sure, it makes it reconciliation possible. But forgiveness and reconciliation are not synonymous. Reconciliation requires forgiveness. That's true. Like you cannot have reconciliation without forgiveness. But sometimes interpersonally we have forgiveness without reconciliation. The relationship's not becoming reconciled. If in our grandma illustration, the grandson received the letter, but still decided he wanted nothing more to do with his grandma, then he has received his forgiveness. But there's a relationship that is decidedly not reconciled. Do you see? It remains unreconciled. Grandma opened the door for forgiveness. She wanted that. But a broken relationship takes two to reconcile. So reconciliation and forgiveness are not the same. When God forgives our sins, it is part of a bigger reality of salvation. Forgiveness is not a standalone with God. Our relationship with God is absolutely restored when we are forgiven. And that is because his work on the cross does more than just forgive debts. He also reconciles us. The work of the cross absolutely restores a relationship. He regenerates us. He gives us new life in him. We're born again. God brings us from condemnation to eternal life. Forgiveness is part of the salvation for sure. But it's not all that God accomplished in the gospel. But as we consider forgiveness as an interpersonal thing, like between people, it doesn't necessarily also restore the relationship. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness is also not relinquishing the desire for justice. I I can forgive an offense while still longing for justice to be served. And that's because a trespass is often against more than one party. If the sin is also criminal, for example, then you might forgive the person while the state continues to press their case. And you could be all for that case, desiring for justice to be served while at the same time forgiving that person. His sin against you was also against the state and you can forgive him while also desiring justice to take place. Or you can forgive a person, release them from that note that you rightly hold against them or held against them while not absolving them in any way of divine justice. Forgiveness is not absolution. The offender's sin is ultimately against God, right? And frankly, you don't have the authority to forgive a person's sins against God. We, we do not give absolution in the place of God. Forgiveness is not the same as absolution. There's a great Old Testament example that shows us this. Uh, I've, I've talked about this uh, for other reasons uh, recently, but Joseph and his brothers, if you recall the story, 
Joseph, his brother sold him into slavery. They committed a, 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 like a heinous sin against him. They sold him into slavery. I mean, it doesn't get any worse than that. Um, so, but later the tables turn. Joseph becomes the prime minister of Egypt. Uh, when their father, Jacob, dies, the brothers know that now Joseph has the power to exact revenge. He has the power to collect his debt, right? He has the power to call in the note. So the brothers come humbly to Joseph and they ask for mercy. They actually do it in a kind of clever way. They, they say, hey, dad wanted you to show us mercy before he died, by the way. You know, so they, they, they go to him. They're afraid for their lives. And listen to how Joseph replies. This is Genesis 50, 19 through 20. Joseph said to them, do not fear. Here, 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 here it is. For, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I I just want you to see what he did in that first line there. Joseph has the posture of forgiveness. In fact, he releases his brothers of their personal debts against them as this goes. He forgives them. But that doesn't mean, and he doesn't think that that means that they're off the hook with God. Do you see? Am I in the place of God? No, they're still gonna stand before God and give an account for their sin. Their sin is ultimately against God and they would have to answer to God at some point, either in repentance, seeking God's forgiveness or in judgment. Our forgiving someone is not absolution. It doesn't absolve them of the guilt before God or even before society. Are you, are you still with me? Forgiveness is also not pretending the offense never happened. Uh, I, I could say a whole bunch here and it, I, I don't know how helpful it would be, but it, it's, it's not pretending the offense never happened. It's not allowing yourself to be further harmed. It's not staying in an abusive situation where you can continue to be sinned against. It's not any of those things necessarily. It's, it's helpful and important to keep things separate. Forgiveness is releasing the debt that someone owes you, a trespasser, that someone who's sinned against you. Maybe... Reconciliation to the relationship will follow. Maybe they will drive their shiny car over and have a tearful slice of pie with you. But maybe not. Maybe you will still have to press criminal charges. Maybe, maybe, maybe the relationship will still never be reconciled, sadly. But the key is that you no longer hold the note. Now, with that in place, let's consider the promise and the warning that's here in this passage. If you forgive, here's the promise, you'll be forgiven. If you do not forgive, God will not forgive you. Now, maybe it would be helpful for me to explain to you what that means in the Greek language. I have studied it, and it's going to blow your mind to know what this means in the Greek language. In the Greek, it means exactly what it means in the English it's super clear. The language is unambiguous. There's, there's no question as, as to how it ought to be translated. It is that clear. Jesus is, in fact, connecting God's forgiveness of us with our forgiveness of others. And preachers and commentaries do their very best to minimize that and dismiss it and say it can't possibly mean that, what it appears to mean. But here it is, and Jesus said it, and I want to stand as a person who submits to the word of God, who does not shape the word of God to fit what I already think. The Bible's not meant to confirm all your biases. If God just fits in your box, then he's a God of your own making. 
I take this as gospel truth. It means that I stand in need of forgiveness. There's one point it means. I have sinned against him often and severely. I have a huge debt before God. I need to be forgiven. And if I hold the posture of not releasing the debts that others incur against me, I will not be forgiven of my debt. The, the, the very best commentary of this, okay? So that I know that that's hard to hear and we're gonna try and wrap our minds around this and I think it'll be helpful in the end, but the very best commentary on this is, is, is in the parable that Jesus told about the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. And I talked about this when I talked about when we were back in Matthew 5, but let's go there again. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. And this is all to try to help us understand where Jesus is coming from here. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or seven times seven, depending on how the manuscripts read. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. It's some obscene number there, a billion dollars. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and his children, all that he had so that the payment could be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, some small amount of money, much smaller. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll, I'll pay you. He refused. And he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had, been take, that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have also had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay back all his debt. So also, listen to him again here, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, you know, verse 35 there says exactly what our text says. Note that, okay? He says it again. The listener or the reader is intended to feel shocked at the guy who refuses to forgive his peer, right? I mean, don't you feel that? Like, how could you not forgive your peer when you've been forgiven such a huge amount? We're meant to feel that. We're meant to feel that angst. Like, that's not right. The, the, the people who saw that happening thought, that's not right. How can you do that? How can you not forgive when you've been forgiven a billion dollars? How can you not forgive 60 bucks? You're supposed to feel shocked. It strikes us as morally off. He himself has been forgiven this crazy amount and he won't budge with this much smaller debt that is owed to him. Shocking. Almost as if the grace of the king was completely lost on the debtor. And that's the point. The grace of the king was completely lost on the debtor. The servant wasn't cherishing the king's grace and mercy. He was despising it. He wasn't loving the forgiveness of his king. He was despising it. 
And the evidence that that servant despised the king's grace was that he would not translate that to forgiving others. Do you see? It is morally shocking when we refuse to show grace to others. When we refuse to forgive, we are not cherishing God's grace to us. We are despising it. And it means that we ourselves are outside of God's grace. And we will not be forgiven our debts so long as we remain in that posture of unforgiveness. In other words, the way we forgive or the way that we refuse to forgive are tells of where we are with God. Um, I used to travel a lot as a missionary with missionary bush pilots in South America, Central America, other places. Um, and the, these pilots would get us out to tribal locations. And it's, it's a big deal to fly these little airplanes out in the jungle where there's nothing. Um, and there were basically two organizations I flew with all the time. One of them was called Mission Aviation Fellowship, and the other one was called Tribal Air Communications, two big orgs that flew missionaries around. And I flew with them a lot for a few years there. Uh, and the pilots all looked very similar. They wore the same kind of helmets, the same kind of uniforms, the same planes. All the planes were the same kind of Cessnas. I mean, it was all, all the same. They, they dressed very similar. Um, but I could tell them apart by one little thing that they kept on their, on their belts, okay? Uh, because the MAF pilots would have those um, Swiss Army knives. You know, those big, fat MacGyver, like five billion tools knives? They'd have one of those. And the tack guys would have Leathermans on their belts, you know, that looks like pliers that fold up. And I, I could tell that the tool was a mark. And it was because of their training and what, what they liked and whatever. But uh, a Swiss Army knife meant MAF. Oh, you're an MAF pilot. I, I see that by that big MacGyver thing on your hip. Uh, oh, you're a Leatherman guy. You know, the, it was a tell. It was a tell. These, these things were a tell of, 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 of who they worked for and where they came from. W- without fail, Forgiveness is a tell of Christianity. One giveaway or mark of a genuine Christian is that they have the posture of forgiveness. If the gospel has had its way in your heart for real, you no longer refuse to forgive. But owing to God's grace in your lives, you cherish forgiveness and demonstrate that by forgiving other people. And on the other hand, a mark or a giveaway or a tell of one who claims Christianity perhaps, but actually despises God's grace, is that they refuse to budge when somebody has sinned against them. There is no such thing as an unforgiving Christian. And you should hear that this morning. The way that Jesus intended those words to be heard, don't despise God's grace to you by withholding forgiveness by the, from, from those who sin against you. If you have been forgiven, cherish God's grace to you in a way that results in a similar posture of forgiveness towards others who owe much smaller debts to you than you owe to God. The connection between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others is not just like in these two passages I read. They're, they're here, but there are many others. I'll, I'll, here's the same. Matthew 5, 7 says... Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. See the connection? Receiving mercy and being merciful. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And on the negative side, the warning side, there's uh, this passage, there's um, Matthew 18, 35, and then there's James 2, 13, which says, 
Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Our passage couldn't be more clear. If you know forgiveness for real, you forgive. No forgiveness equals no forgiveness. So I will say it again. There is no such thing as an unforgiving Christian. There are, however, genuine Christians who struggle with forgiveness. And I count myself in that number. And you might too. Like many other sins, I am growing in my understanding of what it means to forgive my brother or my sister or someone who has wronged me. I'm growing. I'm, I'm learning. I'm, 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 I'm reading passages like this and I'm hit with a hammer. Like, I got to forgive. And that might be where you are today. I don't read Matthew 6, 14 through 15 and feel condemned. I don't, I don't fear that maybe I'm not a genuine Christian. I read these verses as warnings that push me and prod me not to despise God's grace to me in Christ, but rather to forgive as I have been forgiven. I, I know that there's no such thing as an unforgiving Christian, so I don't want to be an unforgiving so-called Christian. I won't take lightly my obligation to forgive. This pushes me to repent of my unforgiveness. Do you see? That's what this is meant for. To, this is, that's what Jesus meant to do in your life as you hear this. Don't be that. Now I know that this is not an easy word for any of us. To you who are here today who have been badly wounded by someone else, let me try to encourage you as we wrap this up. God's grace is not only sufficient to forgive you all of your trespasses, though it is that and you need that, it's also sufficient for you to forgive someone who has harmed you. The basis of your forgiveness of someone else is Christ and the work that he has done on the cross. You are free to forgive because God in Christ has forgiven you. So take that offense against another that you hold in your heart to God and pray for strength to obey Christ. By faith in him, release that debtor of their sin. Maybe the relationship will be reconciled, maybe not. Sadly, it might never be, but you are free to rip up that note because Christ ripped up yours. You're not pretending it didn't happen. You're not acting as if there aren't consequences for sin, both before God and before man. You aren't staying in a, in a place where harm or abuse can continue to flow your way. This is not, those things are not tied necessarily to forgiveness. You aren't pretending to trust when there is no basis to trust. It's not tied to forgiveness. You are simply not holding the offense against that person anymore. You're trusting God. Your eyes are no longer on your hurt. They're no longer on your offender. They're on your savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let God take it from you. He is able, that is forgiveness. If possible, let that person know that you're forgiving them and let them know why you have forgiven them. That can be such a powerful testimony of God's grace in your life. Christ has forgiven you and so you must also forgive them. Friends, one final note. Let, let's not leave here without rejoicing this morning that God has not held our debt against us. And our debt is huge. Our debt is massive against God. 
I will not sin against any person the way that I have sinned against God in totality. And no one will sin against me as much as I have sinned against God. My debt is massive. And the consequences left unchecked are death. Separation. God is just. He doesn't just look the other way. He doesn't just rip it up as if somebody doesn't have to pay. Somebody has to pay that note. And somebody has. The son of God has paid the debt for us and we are forgiven. And that is really good news. If your trust is in Jesus today, your debt is gone. You are free. You are forgiven. And friends, it doesn't matter how massive that debt was. It doesn't matter how storied your past is. It doesn't matter how much sin, how much shame you feel because of it. All who look to Christ find in him total, absolute, unconditional forgiveness for all of their sin because of the work of Christ. You know, the work that Christ has done is sufficient. For, sufficient for all of your sin and all of mine. In him, we find forgiveness and we are free. The note is paid by Christ. And on that basis, let's go from here today, resolved by God's grace to posture ourselves to forgive others who harm us and show us and who sin against us. Let's not be the unforgiving servant. That won't end well for you. May we so love God's forgiveness that we forgive others. And Father, we come to you right now wanting you to do this work in us, knowing that it is a miracle that you have forgiven us. It is your grace. We did not deserve it. We cannot deserve it. We cannot earn it. Lord, I pray that that would translate to transformed lives who no longer hold every offense against them like they once did. But they now are free because of Jesus to forgive as we have been forgiven. Lord, I pray for marriages here this morning that are on the, on the verge of breaking because of unforgiveness. Lord, I pray that your gospel would transform. I pray for broken relationships all across the board. Oh, may your gospel work in us and through us to bring about restoration and forgiveness. And we thank you, Father, for forgiving us our sin debt. Humbly, joyfully, we thank you. We are not righteous in our own. We are sinners. And you have paid our sin debt. You have freed us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.